Lord, we thank you for this evening and ask you to bless this time as we look at your word and guide and lead us and show us what you'd want us to see from this section of scripture. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Lamentations chapter 3, we're continuing the lament over Jerusalem. There is some positive parts in, in, in this particular chapter. Uh, this is also the longest of the chapters. This is where he does the the couplets three times, the, the triplets three times, so it's 66 verses long. Uh, so it's a little bit longer than the other ones. I do not think we're going to get finished with this whole chapter today. Uh, chapter three. Starting at verse one. I am the man that has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. Surely against me he is turned. He turned his hand against me all the day. My flesh and my skin hath he made old. He hath broken my bones. He hath builded, he has built against me and compassed me with gall and travail. He has set me in dark places he, as they that be dead of old. He hath hedged me about. I cannot get out. He, may, he has made my chain heavy. Also, when I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayer. He has enclosed my ways with, he with hewn stones. He hath made my paths crooked. He was unto me as a bear lying in wait and as a lion in secret places. He has turned aside my ways and pulled me in pieces. He hath made me desolate. He hath bent his bow and set me as a mark for the arrow. He has caused his arrows the arrows of his quiver to enter into my reins. So we'll stop there. <laughs> Here is more lament, uh, crying out. He says, I am a man that has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. And this word for man is not the normal word for man. This is the strong man, a warrior. So he says, the strong man has been afflicted by the rod of God's wrath. And in this case, Jerusalem. You know, because we're all talking about this, all is geared toward Jerusalem and all the poetry, everything is geared toward Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the jewel of the area. Uh, that's where the temple of God was. That was the kingdom. It was the, the palace, the, the big fortress. It should not have fallen. And now he says, we have been afflicted. We have totally been taken apart. He hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. One of the things I want to notice about this section is he keeps saying, he hath, and he has done. So this is, he's admitting that God is the one doing all of this. All right. So he says, he has led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. In other words, he's saying everything is bad. You know, he's in a depressed state. And when you're in a depressed state, everything seems dark. Uh, there's no light. You, you can't even see the end of the tunnel. And, and as the old saying goes, if you see a light at the end of the tunnel, you, you, it's the train coming your way when you're depressed. You know, it's, uh, and that's kind of what he's saying. He goes, you've brought me into the darkest place, and there is no light anywhere around me. You know, at this point, Jeremiah is coming close to suffering depression. The city that he loves has been destroyed. Even though he knew and prophesied that it was going to be destroyed, the city he loves, it's his home. It is the home for his, for his nation. 
and it's been destroyed, and he is in a very low point in his life. And one of the things we can understand is that just because we're Christians does not mean we're going to be happy all the time. It does not mean we're going to even be joyful all the time. We should be, but emotions still affect us. And Jeremiah's emotions are really getting the better of him during this lament. He's talking about Jerusalem, not him personally? Both. Both, because, I mean, Jerusalem, you know, he's the prophet of Jerusalem. Primarily, he's talking about Jerusalem being led into darkness and captivity. But he's also, he's expressing his feelings as well through this lament. So it's kind of a mixed bag. Primarily, it's aimed at Jerusalem. But he's also, in this sense, hey, I'm in darkness. You know, the temple's been destroyed. Where is God in all of this? And he's, he's not quite over that edge on where is God, as we're going to see later on in this chapter, probably next week. But he is understanding that there's a darkness going on, and he's struggling. Just as all of us as Christians, even when we know something is going to happen or assume something's going to happen, we kind of get a little kind of depressed. And right now, we as Christians are sitting on the cusp of the end days and tribulation and trials, and it's kind of an exciting time to be alive. But at the same time, we look at it and say, God, what's going on? You know, churches all during the COVID last year were shut, being shut down and, and they were struggling with, you know, okay, God, where are you? What, you know, why, is, why is all this going on? And even though we know we're at the end days and trials and tribulations are going to keep coming our way until God takes us home, there's still this struggle. The struggle when you're in the midst of it all, saying, God, I just don't understand. I don't, I don't see you know, how can all of this be going on? And yet, you know, we, we're, and it's the challenge for us. Are we going to hold on to God and his truth, even in the dark times? And here's where Jeremiah is at right now. The temple's been destroyed. His, the capital's been destroyed. The king's been taken into captivity. Uh, they're no longer a nation. And he's looking, God, uh, you said the king was going to sit on the throne forever. You know, David's seed was going to sit on the throne forever. You said you were going to sit on the throne in Jerusalem what's going on and there's that whole struggle with God here's your truth but I don't see how it's going to be fulfilled and all of us go through that in our in our lives at various points you know and I've said it many times you know Romans 8 28 is my favorite verse and when things are going bad and you know I'll even tell God God I don't see how this can be for good admitting just what Jeremiah is looking at but you said it will be so I'm going to hold on to your verse now, do I do that perfectly? No, I'm human just like everybody else. There's times when I get knocked down and, I, and I'm suffering and I'm, you know, questioning. And then I'll remember my verse and go, okay, God, I don't understand this, but... And Jeremiah's going to get there too. He's going to get there too when he starts going, okay, God, you made promises. I don't understand how they're going to become true, but Jerusalem will be rebuilt somehow. You know, he may remember Isaiah's prophecy that they're going to be put in for 70 years. He may remember his, that they're coming back. But at the time that he's talking, it doesn't, he can't understand. You know, I don't think he ever expected the ferociousness, ferociousness? the fierceness of this destruction. Uh, you know, their entire wall's been wiped out. The temple's been wiped out. I think he expected to be able to come back and the temple at least would be there. You know, the wall would be there. There'd be a city. 
to come back to and he's looking and going, there's, there's nothing here. God was saying, you're not going to rely upon your own strength. And oftentimes that's what God does in our life. He says, I'm going to wipe out your strength. Whatever it is that you're trusting in, I'm going to totally obliterate it so that you have to trust in me. And this is what he's done to the Jewish people. He has taken away everything that they trust in. The city, the temple, even God himself. They, well, they weren't trusting in him, but, but he's going to say, well, you thought you were trusting in me. You, you pretended to trust in me. I'm taking away all of it and see what you, what you trust in. And are you going to come back to me and trust me? Because over those years, and even, even in Jesus' day, they trusted in the temple. You know, the temple's here. God will never destroy his temple. So they're going to do the same thing all over. They haven't learned from their lessons. And God will say, no, you know, <laughs> you're not. You're not following. And God oftentimes will do this to us, whatever we have strength in. And this is when, when we are facing trials, we need to look at what we think our strength is and watch God take it out from under us. Because he does it all the time. Where do you think your strength is? If you're not really understanding that God is your strength and you're putting trust in anything else, he's going to take it away. And this happens over and over again for people. And when, you know, we're looking very quickly at the destruction of the economy. You know, everybody, you know, there's so many economists right now that say our economy is on the cusp. It's going to fall apart. Well, that means everybody who's trusting in their 401ks and their bank accounts and their investments will be stripped out from under them. Because everybody's telling you to buy gold. Revelation tells us that a bag of gold will buy a loaf of bread. But in Revelation, we're told that the inflation is so bad that gold is worthless because food is what is important. There's an example of, all right, we're sitting here in, in chloride and I've, got a, and I've got a bottle of water and I'll say, I'll sell you this bottle of water for $100. You're going to go, absolutely not. I'm just going to go over to this little fountain and I'm going to pour me water. We go out in the Sahara Desert and you haven't had a drink for, you know, for days. And I go, I've got a bottle of water. I'll sell it to you for $100. You're going to take it and snap it up because all of a sudden that has become valuable. Gold, and this is what everybody's saying, buy gold, buy gold, buy gold. And it might put you off for a little while. But the scriptures tell us there's going to come a time when gold is not going to be what you're, what you're looking for. Uh, it's going to be, I just need to survive. I want a loaf of bread. When the world falls apart, gold is not any value because we're in the, we're in the end days. And I'm not saying don't, yeah. don't necessarily, but my trust isn't in the gold. It's not in the, in the bank account. It's not in anything. It is in God. And God will provide, even if he has to do it miraculously. He fed Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. Millions of people in the wilderness fed and watered them for 40 years. Fed Elijah by ravens bringing him food. Over and over again, he has provided for his children what they need. And so our plan has to be to trust him. Now, I'm not saying don't do anything. You know, don't put money in the bank or anything. But we need to understand that when the system falls... The only thing we have to hold on to is God. And that's going to be the key part of this. And here, he's lamenting the fall of everything that they had their strength in. You know, even though he was prophesying their destruction and their fall, I don't think he expected the, the ferociousness of the, of the fall. 
And just like I was talking to somebody the other day, you know, we know what's coming in the end times. I never expected to see things move as quickly as they are toward it. You know, we have went from having lots of freedoms and everything to having very little freedom and soon we'll have no freedom because of the direction we're moving. And look how fast it happened. They shut down churches, you know, which is unfathomable in America without much of a whimper from anybody. Uh, you know, they're telling us that we must do certain things and there's no even whimper that something's going wrong. And we see how fast everything is moving toward. And, you know, it's just, it's an exciting time on one side. It's a scary time side on another without trusting God. But it is going to be, do you trust me? God is saying, do you trust me as all of these things are going to go? Are you standing firm for me? And it's going to be tough. It's going to really test everybody. Do we trust God? Or we put in our trust in the stuff, especially here in America, and all the stuff that we have. You know, my three meals a day, my two cars, my nice house, uh, my money in the bank, I've got a good job. All of that is crashing down around us. All of this is coming down. It's just moving us very quickly into the end days. And it's kind of an exciting time to live, but it's kind of a scary time to live at the same, same, same portion of time because you're looking around you and saying, how bad are things going to go get before God takes us home? And I think it's going to get pretty bad for, for people before the rapture comes. I've always said this, even long before this, that we are going to suffer some, maybe not tribulation, but trials in America and possibly have martyrdoms going on in America before the rapture. And I can see that happening just around the corner. And it's a scary thing, but this is what, this is what uh, Jeremiah is going through. He goes, well, I, I said all this was going to happen, but I never expected this. <laughs> You know, I didn't expect it to be this bad, this quick, this, this harsh. And so, you know, it's laying the same thing. Then we need to get to the place where we're ready to say, God, I put my trust in you, not the stuff around me, not the things I have. And it's going to be a rough time. It really is going to get rough. And I think it's just around the corner when things are going to get rough. I mean, we're seeing infl inflation hit America and the rest of the world dynamically. We're seeing the supply chain being destroyed. Supply chain right now is being a problem. I do know that the trucks, trucking industries are limiting how much stuff the, the uh, businesses can buy. The trucks can only go out with so much and so they're cutting custo any, any customer that does not order a certain amount is being cut off because they're too small and they're stopping them from delivering to the bigger customers. And that is becoming a big issue. And we're starting to even see it in the grocery stores. There's places where you see empty, empty shelves in America, which we never thought we would ever see. But right now, it's the companies cannot. My daughter and my son-in-law both have said that they order stuff, and they're hoping they get their stuff in. Because they just cut them off at a certain place and won't bring them anything more. And they get to decide what they're going to bring them. We'll give you napkins, but no french fries. Yeah. Uh, so all of this is going on, and this is where our world is headed to crash it. 
Now, I don't know all of what's going in. Yeah, there's conspiracy theories and all of this stuff. I do know who is in charge of it all is Satan overall. Yeah. And I'm not saying the individuals involved are listening to his voice, but he is the one playing the pieces and putting people into place to destroy everything. But it is an interesting time to be alive as we watch the destruction of our country, that we watch the destruction of Europe. Why? Because for a one world government, you have to tear down the, the first world and the second world and bring everybody down to a third world environment. Because otherwise, nobody's going, you're not bringing the third world up to the first. You have to tear down civilization to get everybody happy. And then we start listening and you're starting to hear people calling for a one, we need a world leader to fix our problems for us. People are literally calling for what Revelation said was going to happen. It, and nowhere ever has there been a call for one world leader to step up and, and, and serve like this for the whole world. I mean, there's been regions that say we need, a, we need a leader. It's an exciting time to live as we're looking and saying, wow, Revelation and Daniel and Ezekiel are all coming to fulfillment in our day and age. Now, it could still be pushed off. I mean, there could be a miracle. There could be a revival. I don't think so, but there still could be <laughs> a huge revival that will turn the world around. But we look and see what's going on and say, wow, we are so close. We are so close to seeing fulfillment, so close to the economy being destroyed, so close for all of these things happening and there's wars and rumors of wars, which Jesus said would be in the end days. There's wars everywhere. Now, we are at peace, but there's hundreds of wars all around the world right now. By the definition of wars of a certain, a certain amount, thousands of people dying, there's wars everywhere. So we are sitting right at the cusp. Good is being called bad. Bad is being called good. People are doing what's right in their own eyes. We are sitting right there, and we are falling off the precipice into the evil that God said was coming. And so it's a very interesting time and say, God, how far is it going to go? And this is what Jeremiah was saying. He kept telling them, repent or you're going to be destroyed. Repent. He even told the king, you know, just give up and, and you'll, get to, you'll get to reign. Just surrender and God will spare the city. And the king did not. And so you have to read Jeremiah for all of this stuff as well. But, you know, they were told, just, just surrender. Give up. God will spare the city. You'll get to reign. You know, there's not going to be a problem. The king tried to hire uh, other countries to help him, uh, tried to fight, tried to escape, <laughs> and got captured. And in retaliation, Nebuchadnezzar destroys this, the uh, city. Uh, and it's what is ending up happening. And we need to be careful because I'm watching what's going on. You know, the celebration of, of video churches. God said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together and so much more as you see the day approaching. And there are big named pastors celebrating their, how many people are attending their, their video church. I'm sorry, God said assemble. He didn't say gather together in front of a screen. There's no accountability without the assembly. It is real easy to sit in front of a screen and not have any accountability and say, oh, that was a good, that was a good message. 
oh, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to work Sunday school. I don't have to take care of kids. I don't have to, I don't have to clean. I don't have to even tithe because it's not my church. And so all of these things that go on is a very scary thing. And, you know, if you listen to the Christian radio, you hear a lot of these big-name guys celebrating video church. And I don't, you know, I'm glad they have it. I'm glad that we were able to reach out. But it's not the same thing as coming to church. You know, and to have these guys encouraging people to come to their video church bothers me. Because it's not the same. There's no accountability for the people. There's no edification, no building up, no knowing people, uh, no, no having help. And it fits into our whole world. You know, I have 5,000 friends on Facebook. Well, who can you call if you have an emergency? Well, none of them. Uh, they're, they're not really friends. They're just friends. You know, uh, but there's nobody I can call when, you know, you know, who do you call when you have a spiritual problem? You're going to call that video pastor that you've been listening to that has millions of people around the world who's never going to answer his phone if you call him because you're not his? You know, it's really important that we assemble, we gather together, we work together. He has turned against me, has turned his hand against me all day long. You know, this is kind of an interesting his depression says, God is persecuting me. He is not keeping me. He, is, he has worked against me in all that's going on. All right, verse 4. My flesh and my skin hath he made old. He hath broken my bones. I kind of think this is very interesting. He hath made my skin and my flesh old. In other words, he's dried it out and made it wrinkly and uh, worn it out. Like, like any older person, uh, Literally, it means used up completely. Yeah. All right. Uh, and he hath broken my bones. He hath built against me and compassed about me with gall and travail. So he is saying he's building up these walls against me and, and encircled me. And gall is the word for bitterness uh, and with travail. And that's the word of giving birth. <laughs> great pains, all right? So he's really just expressing everything is going wrong. <laughs> yeah, uh, I kind of, the way I would take this, my flesh and skin have he made old, I've gotten old before my time type deal. And he's already old, but I mean, he's getting, he's going, uh, my days of getting numbered. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm wasting away. He has set me in a dark place as they that be dead of old. <laughs> It has caused me to sit in a dark place. In other words, and, he's, and this idea is that he's in hell. You know, you know that he's feeling, he is so bad off, he's almost feeling like, okay, I've entered into hell. I've entered into the dark place that there's no light anywhere around me. And people have oftentimes felt that way when things get really bad. They will say, I, I am in hell. It feels like I'm in hell. Well, if they really understood what hell was, they wouldn't say that, but... But you know, they're, they're, the idea is that everything is going wrong. I'm not at peace. I don't see anything good. And there's this depression. And some of this chapter, I think, is Jeremiah talking as much as, as, as Jerusalem talking. Um, because he is, he is suffering. The city that he loved, the city he wanted to see repented, is fallen. And he preached repentance. And he preached repentance and... Just as God told him, nobody would listen to him. Which is why early in Jeremiah, he says, I'm not going to talk for you anymore, God. 
you know, I am not going to do this anymore. And then he turned around and said, your word burned in my mouth and I could not help but to speak. Yeah. And he's like, okay, I get, every time I speak, I get thrown into the, the cistern or the pit or the, the dungeon uh, and I get beat <laughs> and nobody's responding. Why should I even speak? And, and he said, I'm not going to speak. And then it's like he got to where he couldn't do anything but speak. And so here he is with all of this. He goes, you've hedged me in. You, you've, uh, verse uh, 7, you've hedged me about that I cannot get out. I cannot get away. How many times have we ever felt that way when God, God has put a wall around us and we cannot get away with what he has done? And he says, you have made my chain heavy, my fetters. Uh, and, you know, you just picture this. God keeps putting a heavy chain on him and a heavier chain on him. He wants to get away from it, and he says, you're not getting away. You're encompassed, you're circled, and I put a heavy weight on you so that you're not moving. There are times when people feel that way when they're called by God to do something, and they go, God, I don't want to do this. And God puts a wall around them, so they have to do what it is. And normally God doesn't do that because if he says you want to, don't want to do it, he'll put somebody else in your place. But there are times when he says you're the one that's going to do it. And he puts walls around us and basically doesn't literally force us, but makes it that we really don't have much other choice. My example on that is Saul of Tarsus. He's riding to Damascus. He gets knocked off the horse and God says, uh, you know, you're going to be my, my prophet to the Gentiles. Uh, he could have said, no, absolutely no way. But when you've been knocked off your horse, you've been made blind, and you're hearing the very voice of God, are you, are you likely to say no? Yeah. Technically, he had the free will to say no. Nobody in their right mind would have said no. And this is kind of where Jeremiah is you know, making this sin. He's not being quite the same. He goes, everywhere I turn, you're keeping me from going, God. I didn't want to speak, and yet you're making me speak. I have no other option. It's burning me up not to speak. And you know, this is the way God gets sometimes. He goes, you are the one that's going to do this. You are going to do this. And we can fight it. We can argue about it. We can ultimately decide not to do it and be miserable. <laughs> one thing about not obeying God for a Christian is that we end up being miserable at least while we're hardening our heart. God, I'm just not going to do it. God, would you just give me a little peace? I'm not going to do what you want, God, but give me some peace. And God says, no. I'm not giving you any peace. I'm not giving you any comfort until you do what it is that you're told to do. And this is where he's at on it. He says, um, verse 8 says, Also when I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayer. And here he is. He says, I am calling out for help. I am I keep shouting. And, you know, this is kind of interesting because at this point I don't know whether he's talking about himself or Jerusalem because Jerusalem never cried out for help. Well, they did, but not to the right sources. And so it could be Jerusalem. You know, I'm crying out for help and we're, we're surrounded. But the one thing that God looks at is if our heart isn't right and we're calling out for help, he's waiting for repentance. God waits for repentance to come. He's, you know, God, I need your help. Sometimes he'll help, sometimes he won't. But when we repent, he'll step out and say, okay, that's what I wanted. 
I needed repentance. And it's amazing to me how fast God works when we finally give up. Now, when I fought for God, with God for, for six years over an issue, everything was miserable. Nothing worked. All my good plans didn't work. Every, every, everything I tried didn't work. And some of them, I know that they were good plans because I'm a planner. I'm a, I'm a manager. As soon as I said, God, I give up, everything cleared up, cleared up within, a, within a month, a month and a half, for even if it was that long. Everything just turned around because God says, oh, you've repented here. Now you can have the blessings. And this is what's going on here. He says, I've cried out, I've shouted, and you have shut. You have closed up your ears to my prayers. And I think this is Jerusalem because they have been idol worshiping up to this point. Their city is now surrounded. They're starving to death. And they did, then they decide, uh, God, help us. But they didn't give the repentance that God wanted. And because they did not repent, the, God did not answer. And this is something that's very important. Sometimes God will reach out and touch somebody when they call for, for his help. Sometimes he says, nope, I'm not helping you because you haven't repented. And I think the biggest difference is, is will it keep them alive or not? If somebody's going to turn to God and he says, and they say, God, I need your help, but I'm not ready to repent and he knows that they're going to die in their sins, he might just let them have some help. These people had had more opportunities, and they, did, they rejected the prophets, so many of the people of Jerusalem died because of their rejection of the prophet. And the king gets taken into captivity. His sons get taken into captivity. Uh, most of his people get taken into captivity. Very small number of people actually died because God was trying to get their attention. You've sinned against me, you've rejected me, you've gone, and most of the Jewish people went into captivity um, because of, the, of this. It says, you have enclosed my ways with hewn stones, you have made my paths crooked. Yeah. So here's more, you, you, you've wrapped a wall around me. <laughs> you've built a wall around me, and with a wall around him, he sees a path. <laughs> this is kind of, kind of an interesting statement, but he goes, my way of walk is so crooked I can't see the path. And he's understanding because when Jesus said the way of righteousness is straight, he wasn't just making that up. It's all through the scriptures that the righteous walk is a straight path, straight narrow path, and it, the crooked path is unrighteousness. That Satan leads and, and walks you away from everything. And he says, my way is, is crooked. <laughs> And I, the word here for crooked really indicates that it is uh, twisted and distorted. It's not just crooked path. It is twisted and distorted. Uh, if you've ever gone hiking and you get on a path that's not a path, and all of a sudden you think it's a path and it's nice and smooth for a little while, and then you get everything has gone crazy, roots and... <laughs> and goes in all kinds of different directions, and it slants, and there's potholes and everything all in it. Probably not potholes, but holes. <laughs> uh, and that's what he's saying. My path in front of me, the path in front of us, looks totally distorted. They're going into captivity. Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Yep, God has made my path crooked. Israel is going into captivity. They're being taken out of the land that God had promised them. 
and being taken to who knows where because they're going to be scattered all through the Babylonian Empire, which is a very large empire, and they're scattered throughout that empire. And many of them over the 70 years start making homes because they're told by Jeremiah, and you know, when you go, just make homes. You're going to be there for 70 years, make homes. But they get so settled in those new homes that when it's time to go back, most of them don't want to go back. They go, hey, I got my home, I got my business, I've been here 70 years, my, my kids have grown up here, you know, my grandma and grandpa died here, and dad and, dad and mom are starting to, you know, get old and probably going to die here, and I don't know of any other land. I don't know Israel. Why would I want to go back to Israel? This is the only land I've known. And so they settled and didn't quite forget God completely. They're still running their Passover, but they're not offering sacrifices, they're not... They're not even thinking about ever going back to the temple when it's, when it's rebuilt. They're just happy where they're at. Their path has been made crooked and distorted. And many of them pretty much forgot God. They started doing Passover and these events very much the way we mostly do in America with Christmas and, and Easter. It's a day to gather the family together and celebrate family. What? You want me to, you want me to do what on Christmas? You want me to celebrate Jesus' birth? No, no, that's just a day to gather. We give gifts to each other. And, oh, you want me to celebrate his resurrection on Easter? No, nah, it's just a day for us to go, you know, go to church in the morning and do our, do our time and have a feast after, after church. That's how they, how they got. They, they'd walked off the path. They still celebrated Passover. They still had lamb. They still had the bitter herbs. They had all the parts of it. But we're leaving the story behind. They, they would celebrate these holidays, and this is the twisted path that's in front of them. And at this point, he's not really seeing how far this path is going to go down the, down the road. He goes, it's not looking good. And I don't think he expected it to go as far as it did. Again, the, the city, the nation is falling in a day, you know, in a very short period of time, and it went so fast for him. And he doesn't foresee this, but he sees a very crooked path. He goes, they're being taken away. You know, how can we rebuild, your, God, how can we rebuild your city and your temple when everybody's, being, when everybody's being taken away? Not just the king, not just the nobles, all the merchants, anybody who knew how to make anything happen is taken away. When they got done taking everybody away, the poorest of the poor were left. The people who barely knew how to grow food take care of crops, build anything. They're, none of them knew how to do any of this stuff because everybody who knew anything was taken away. And that's what was left. And this is what Jeremiah is seeing. He's going, God, how can we recover from this? How is any of this going to be recoverable? You're, you're taking away the cream of the crop and, and there's nobody left. Yeah, and he sees nothing but disaster coming out. Um, he goes... He, he, God, was, a, was as a bear lying in wait and as a lion in secret places. Uh, you know, he's really pretty excited here. You know? Uh, you know, God, you're like that bear that was waiting for me to come around the corner so that he could have dinner. Or the lion that was sitting there waiting for me to, in the cave. He's going, you know, the, he was there. He goes, you have turned aside my ways and pulled me in pieces and made me desolate. And again, this is his heart. 
you know, my heart is for Jerusalem, my heart is for the people, and now I have been ripped to shreds as this nation is falling apart. Everything is coming apart at its seams, and God, I just don't understand it. This is where the nations will be. As the nations start falling in this world, there are going to be people looking and saying, where did the nation go? Now, we can already see in America that this nation is not the nation that most of us grew up in. Not even close. And it's still better than most places, but it is being ripped to shreds, and it tears the heart out of us who care about our country. And yet I care about God more and know that he said that all of this has to happen. And we're watching nations fall. All over the place, nations are falling. Europe has already pretty much fallen. They're one great big empire called the EU. Now, there's still little walls that separate them, but they're barely separated at all. Uh, you know, and we're seeing instances where things are happening. We're seeing the idea that we don't have nations. We shouldn't have nations. And it goes back all the way back to the 60s and 50s when people were saying it's the nation's fault that so we have wars. If we just get rid of nations, there won't be any war. Well, man has this capacity to always make war. Always. Always has since the fall and always will. So once we get rid of the nations, there will be still battles and wars and, and strife. Because somebody's not going to be happy. And they're going to cause trouble. And there will be smaller wars. There may not be a world war, but there'll be small wars all over the place, just as there are currently. And all of this happens because of the rejection of God and his plans. And, you know, I see from here, you know, he's complaining about this, but, you know, everything he complains about is exactly what we are starting to hear from our people. I hear Christians starting to you know, lament. The America's, America's falling. If America falls, what's going to happen to the world? Yeah? The whole world's falling, so it really doesn't matter. Uh, we're all falling into this idea of a one-world government, one-world currency, one-world destruction, and it is what was predicted. Now, it is depressing on one side. If, if I didn't know what was going on from the Bible and know that this is what God said was going to happen, I would probably be a very depressed person watching this country fall apart. And it's interesting when I talk to people who do not have the hope in God or the trust in God, even if they are a Christian, don't have the trust in God, going, I don't know what's going to happen. This world, this country is falling apart. You're absolutely right. It's falling apart. And without a, without a revival, it's going to fall apart. But the whole world is going to fall apart. We are right on the cusp of everything happening. And we're seeing it all being placed into place. And we're going, okay, it can happen. It can happen. And we've been talking about how quick it can happen. And we're seeing how fast it can really happen. Because most of us thought it was still decades away until this last year and a half, two years. <laughs> and now we're going, it could change overnight. We could wake up in a month or two and have everything falling in place that, that Revelation says is going to happen. We just have to put our heart, trust and heart in God. And it's going to be a great temptation to despair just as Jeremiah is despairing here if we're not careful despair can take place if our trust isn't completely in God and his word which is one of the reasons I've really been pushing for us to memorize scripture to really put our hearts on the on in in what's going on because when everything turns against 
us, apparently. We're going to need to be putting our full trust in God. And it's going to be hard. Uh, you know, when Hitler took over Germany, it happened in, you know, a very quick period of time that he took over everything. You know, he was chancellor. He was elected by a large majority of the people to rule over them. And then almost overnight, he was the, 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 the Fuhrer, you know, and had everybody under his control. And it happened, you know, for all practical purposes overnight. I mean, it took months, but it was, you know, when you compare it to years, it was like one day you're free, the next day you're under full control. And fear is reigning. And when the communists took over all these countries in Europe, the same thing. You know, it took months for them to finally get full control, but it was instant, almost overnight, everything changed. For all the pieces, but the pieces are in place, the conquer happens, and then it takes, to put everybody under your thumb takes a little while, but it happens very quickly in the scope of history. You know, within a year, everybody was conquered. And so we need to be ready. We need to have our hearts and our minds set to focus on God when all this stuff happens. Now, I agree with many people. I'm glad that we are in Mojave County because we will watch what's going to happen everywhere else first before Mojave County fully falls under because they're going to go after the cities. They're going to go after key, key points. But eventually they will get to us. They will get to us because that's what history does. It starts with the big cities and moves out. So I'm glad we're where we're at. You know, we're going to have a little bit of a reprieve, but it'll also be just as scary because we're going to see what's happening and know that it's coming our way. But we need to be focused on God and not fall into this depression <laughs> that Jeremiah is talking about. Uh, verse eight, uh, 12, He hath bent his bow and set me as a mark for the arrow. <laughs> he, I, I become the target, <laughs> is what he's saying. Uh, or Jerusalem in this place might very well be the one. He has set the target. He hath caused the arrows of his quiver to enter into my reins. Now, this is kind of interesting. I'm not sure why they put reins here. The literal word is kidneys. Okay. He has caused his arrows to get into my seat of emotion because this is what they considered the kidneys. The, this is where their emotions twisted and turned, that the guts you know, being twisted and turned. We, we use the heart. In our, in our world, they use the kidneys. Other places use the intestines, you know. But that whole area, he says, he has caused his arrows to get into my intestines. They're causing great pain. The seat of my emotions are being destroyed. And this is where, if our emotions are stuck on anything other than God, we're in trouble. And we need to also re recognize that as human beings, we do have emotions that we don't control. You know, I will never tell people that I have no fear of, you know, the emotion of fear. Do I have the attitude of fear? No. But I get emotions of fear. And we need to understand that the emotions that come our way are not the problem. What we do is the problem. You know, do I act upon my emotions or do I stay firm on the foundation of God? And when God says don't fear, he knows that our, in, our human being, our human emotions are going to say, you should be afraid in this situation. But is my trust in God, am I going to hold on firm to him and ignore my emotions? 
know, this is where we have people who divorce their wife or their husband because their emotions tell them they don't love them anymore and they fell in love with somebody else. And they act upon their emotions and God says, no, you don't act upon your emotions and your lust. Are you going to act upon truth? And all of this is where it comes down to is, he says, you've shot up my emotions. <laughs> you know, uh, my emotions tell me I have been stuck with pins and arrows and you've caused all kinds of problems with me. And we're going to stop here because the next part starts dealing not with God doing things, but with the enemies doing, doing things to him. And then we're going to get to a place where he starts saying, God, thank you. <laughs> you know, uh, thank you for some of the things that he does see. You know, so he's starting to have a little bit of a twist in this chapter toward some positives. So next he's going to go against the enemies. Then he's going to go, God, you've done some good things. And then he's going to go, God, go get the enemies. <laughs> so we have a lot going on in this chapter. So we're going to close at this point because this is, he's been talking about God up to this point and, we're, and he's going to switch to the enemies after this. So, Lord, we thank you for this. We thank you for how much you love and care. Lord, help us to keep our emotions in check and focused on you in all that we do. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening, friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and that's is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.